much. Friends, my name is Adam, if we haven't met. And it's my joy to be one of the pastors here. And one of the joys we have is living in our home, which is in the Shadowbrook neighborhood. It's kind of near uh, Quick Trip and Dairy Queen. And really, what else do you need? I mean, it's all, it's all right there. And in my neighborhood Facebook page, someone a few weeks ago, not long ago, posted about an experience they had where they were called on the phone and someone was saying that they had an upgrade or could make their security service better at their house. So they made an appointment and then the person showed up to their home. Well, at that point, the person said, now how do I know you're with ADT? That's a security company. And they, they weren't. And they called ADT and they're like, yeah, they're not with us. I mean, isn't that scary? So at worst, they're trying to get access to your security system in your home. Or at best, that's what's happening at worst. Who knows what else? I mean, you hear stories like this, and you just think, oh, my gosh, you can't trust anyone, right? And, and it turns out us Americans are pretty good at having our guard up. Trust is on the decline in our society. Since the mid-1970s, the number of people who would agree that people can be trusted is declining. That's the line in the middle. The number of people who say you can't be too careful is increasing. That's at the top. We not only trust people less as a society, we also have less trust in institutions. This is from year-over-year studies by the Gallup Corporation. Uh, and let's, let's go back to that. Uh, there we go. This is a graph that shows between 2021 and 2022, almost without, besides one exception, trust in every major institution in our country declined. I mean, you can read it, maybe. <laughs> but the law enforcement, church, the bottom one is Congress. I'll just kind of let that speak for itself. I'm not going <laughs> to not going to take on that one. Uh, but the number of people who would say that you can trust institutions a great deal or quite a lot is falling year over year. This is troubling because trust is a foundational element of any successful venture. Any organization, any relationship will not reach its potential if there's not trust present. Dr. Henry Cloud calls trust the fuel for all of life. And it's in his book that we're going to be, uh, a book he wrote, that's going to be the basis for this sermon series. We're going to be looking at the necessity of trust. How do we trust God? How do we be trustworthy people? How do we build trust with others? And once trust has been breached or broken, how do we repair that? And so some of these concepts we're going to be taking from Dr. Henry Clown's book called Trust, I love when you just call something what it is. And so that's going to be the series we're in these next four weeks. The necessity of trust. Last week, Pastor Kire talked about the reality of suffering. And that when we experience pain and suffering, it often can make us ask questions like, where is God in all of this? Or even, is God real? How do we trust God who is supposedly all good and all-knowing and all-powerful, all powerful, and yet suffering exists, evil exists? How do we trust God, especially when things in life are not going our way? It's hard to do, not always easy. 
And that's why this topic is an important one, I think, for all of us, no matter where we find ourselves in life. And so what I hope we discover together as we study God's word is that knowing God and trusting God increase together. In our scripture today, we're going to meet a leader who had their doubts about trusting God. We're going Old Testament today. That's the first half of the Bible. And we're going to be in the book of Judges. This is a period in the people of Israel's history where they have escaped slavery in Egypt. Um, They have been led by people like Moses and Joshua. Those are familiar names to some of us. You just need to know those are some of Israel's first leaders. But they don't yet have a king, a monarch. Their ruler, the head of their or their society is God. And so God will raise up certain individuals to lead as judges uh, for these certain times that we'll describe here in a moment. Now, I grew up watching People's Court and Judge Judy, and I don't know if you knew this, but I guess even Steve Harvey has a courtroom show now. I don't know what his credentials are. I don't know if he's been to law school. I would like to be a judge. I'm very good at judging. Uh, (laughs) I, I, I try not to show y'all that. I, but how do you get in one of those shows? I don't know. Apparently anybody can get one. But we're talking about, when we talk about judges in the Old Testament sense, in, in, the, in the book of Judges, they did a lot more than rule judicially or in a courtroom or in a law setting, although there was some of those types of decisions they made. They were also military leaders. They were the head of, of their, their nation. And they even had some religious functions. The book of Judges is named so because of the people God raises up when Israel is in this constant cycle of sin. It's, it's this, this cycle that happens over and over where they stray from God's teaching, they're taken over by enemies, they cry out for help, God raises up a leader or a judge to rescue them, they achieve victory, and then they're again at peace in obedience to God until they aren't and the whole thing starts over again. In many ways, that's, you could sum up the New Testament, or the Old Testament that way, and particularly the book of Judges. So we find ourselves around a thousand years before Jesus. And in chapter 6, the people of Israel are under rule by the Midianites. They were a seafaring people who came from the northwest Arabian Peninsula. And you can see they kind of started there in the land of Midian, and they're spreading out towards the Mediterranean Sea and conquering the people of Israel. Judges 6 tells us that the Midianites were oppressive and that whenever the Israelites planted their crops, they camped on the land, they being the Midianites, and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel. And so now God is going to raise up a leader to deliver the Israelites from their enemies, the Midianites. And so the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah. Now, I have heard that this is actually where Oprah's name came from, and they simply misspelled it on her birth certificate. Now, if that's the only thing you learned today, I will be disappointed, but a little bonus fact for you. The angel of the Lord came under the oak that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? 
But now that Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. So Gideon is describing the dynamic that Kirei preached about last week. If God is with me, why are things so bad? I think a lot of us have had that thought in life before. Now, a couple times in this chapter, you'll see Gideon use the phrase, pardon me, a couple times. And I I got a bit of a kick out of that. Uh, I view it, 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 when you look at the original language, the, the, the term pardon me can be sort of compared to maybe our version of with all due respect. And so the angel replies in verses 14 and 15, the angel of the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord. There it is again, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. We pointed out how rough the Israelites have it with the Midianites' boot on their necks. And so it's no small feat for Gideon to be called to go conquer the Midianites, to save Israel. It's no small feat, especially when you're from the smallest kind of no-name clan, and as the youngest, you're bringing the least to the table. But this is one of the character qualities of God. This is one of the characteristics of God, that God chooses the most unlikely candidates. That's a thread that runs all throughout the Bible. The people that don't make sense on paper, those are the people recorded in the pages of our scriptures, chosen by God. Now Gideon's having trouble trusting the message and the messenger. Even after being promised victory, the angel just said, am I not sending you on behalf of God? And Gideon was greeted with the, ter- with the words, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But his distrust, Gideon's distrust is on display. Gideon replied, if I have now found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. So Gideon's instructed to to go make a sacrifice and he, he gets it all done up and the angel touches the sacrifice with the edge of his rod, his staff he was carrying, and the sacrifice burns up. This was a miraculous sign to Gideon. And when Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, alas, Sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And then the angel gives Gideon instructions to go back to his home, to uh, his, his, his city or his, his village, and destroy an altar to a foreign god and rebuild it in the name of the God of Israel. And then worship at it. He does, but barely. You'll see. So in verse 27, Gideon took... Ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather in the daytime. So I'm going to be obedient, but I'm going to be looking over my shoulder and do this at night. This is not a step of trust. Asking for these confirmations, not a sign of trust. So let's recap. Gideon speaks with an angel, sign one. He witnesses the angel touch his offering miraculously, sign two. But despite all of God's promises, he's still afraid. Gideon is wanting confirmation to trust God because Gideon did not know God. I mean, I think this is like somebody showing at your door with some fake ADT badge and being like, hey, I'm here to enter your home. And you're like, can I see some identification? I don't know you. 
Gideon doesn't know God, and so Gideon doesn't trust God. And this pattern continues. So Gideon does begin to rally and muster his people to fight back against the Midianites. Verse 35 says that he called his people to arms. And even on the verge of battle, Gideon said to God in verses 36 to 38, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. It's like a dirt floor. If there was dew only on the fleece and all the ground dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. He needs one other sign, and that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day, and he squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Now, this is a very common practice in ancient religions. It's called divination, or you're trying to understand what the divine wants. And so if thing A happens, God must think this. If thing B happens, God must think that. You can almost think of it like a magic eight ball that you see, okay, this is what God wants. I mean, we could do a deep dive on that. The the Israelite priests had things uh, attached to their robes that, that were almost like rock, paper, scissors. And then however that turns out, that's God's decision. So this is a a, a clue in the ancient practice of religion. And so Gideon asks for a sign. And if the fleece is wet and the ground is dry, then God is confirming what God is calling Gideon to do. Certainly not a sign of trust to keep asking for another sign. And yet, even after that, Gideon doubles down. Then in verse 39, Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. With all due respect, let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did, God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. So just to make sure this wasn't natural, because dew comes in the morning, overnight, let's this time make the fleece dry and the ground wet. Then I'll finally know. Well, Gideon takes this finally as the sign he needs And he goes and defeats the Midianites. He had assembled 20,000 men. But God said, well, if you go with all 20,000, people are going to think it was because of your might that this happened. Take only 300, and then they'll know it was me. Gideon did come to a place to trust God. But here's the thing. It took two and a half, with all due respects, and four other signs. Let's count them. Pardon me, my Lord, he said twice. Don't be angry with me. Just, just, just one more little sign. So let's recap. Angel talks to you. Sign one. Angel staff ignites sacrifice. Sign two. Wet fleece, dry ground. Sign three. Dry fleece, wet ground. Sign four. I mean, this guy was stacking them up and still had a hard time trusting God. Gideon wanted confirmation over and over that this really was God asking him to risk his life and the life of his countrymen. I think we can desire the same confirmation when it comes to trusting God. What's funny is if it's a certain thing, it really doesn't require a whole lot of trust, does it? But maybe like me, you have prayed to God and asked for some real clarity. Wanted to make doubly sure and ask God to make something plain and clear. But then according to Judges 6, which I think is true in my experience too, sometimes even that's not enough. Well, let's, let's do the fleece thing one more time. Friends, the more we know God, the more we'll trust God. 
And the inverse is true. The more we trust God, the more we come to know God. Trusting God and knowing God increase together. One of the ways we can know God is when we study God's word, both here in a setting of worship and also on our own and also in community with other people on the same journey of faith. And so over the next two weeks, we're inviting folks, we've been trying to talk about this for a few months now, we're inviting folks to team up into what we're calling an unlikely friends group. And so to give you a little assurance, to give you a little bit of fleece to sit on, we want you to sign up with somebody you know, and then you'll be paired in these groups, and we're going to go through an eight-week experience together to form some relationships a little bit deeper here at the church, but ultimately to come to know God more together. One of the main ways to know God is through God's word. That's when we learn about God's character. That's when we also experience the same spirit that inspired the scriptures, inspires us today. And so I think this is an exercise in trust because you're not sure how these groups are going to go. That's one of the reasons we make them only eight weeks, by the way. Like, what if they're weird? What if they think you're weird? You don't know. So I would call this an example of laying out a fleece. Just like Gideon in the story lays out a fleece and asks God to do something with it. Now, Gideon did this as a test. So what I'm proposing is that we can lay out a fleece, not as a test, not a test for God, but for us to do something as an act of trust and then to leave the outcome to God. So what if we considered laying out a fleece, this is something my dad used to say, I'm going to lay out a fleece, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take initiative, and then I'm going to leave the outcome to God. For some of us, coming to church today was laying out a fleece. I think that could take many forms, laying out a fleece, having a hard conversation, initiating one, forming a budget, applying for a new job, going on a date, trying out for a team, giving for the first time, starting a new business venture, maybe starting a healthier habit. There's all sorts of ways that laying out a fleece could look, many forms it could take. What could we do as an act of trust, what could we initiate and leave the outcome to God? That is learning to trust in God. Sometimes trusting in God looks or feels, it's a feeling. I think there's three main ways that we can kind of experience trusting in God. Sometimes trusting in God is a feeling. I know a lot of people who are in the midst of crisis, but they have this sense of peace. I know a lot of people that have a lot of good reasons to be freaking out. But they have this assurance despite everything going on. The Bible calls this the peace that passes understanding. And you just trust God and you feel it emotionally. Now, we can't always control how we feel. And so I think a lot of other times, trusting in God is a decision. That's what I mean by laying out a fleece. I'm going to decide to do this. And we're going to see where it leads, even when the outcome isn't guaranteed. A couple of those major ones from my life. I'm going to decide, I'm going to make the decision to get engaged, even though I saw that didn't work out real good for my parents. I'm going to decide to get a 96-hour master's degree at seminary, even though I'm not quite sure sitting here now how I'm going to pay for it all. I'm going to decide to say yes to go to First United Methodist Kearney, 
even though I've never been a senior pastor before. Shocking, right, with all the legitimacy now. I mean, (laughs) never a doubt, I'm sure. But man, I was freaked out. Never done that before. I'm going to lay out a fleece. Other times, trusting in God looks like a choice. So I tried to lay out some decisions I've had in my life where you weren't sure about the outcome. And and, and so I I think a choice, I'm sort of trying to describe that on a broader level than just one thing you're deciding. But rather, you've just made a choice to make up your mind about something. Here's what I mean. I'm going to trust, I'm going to choose to trust that God hears my prayers even when things aren't going well. I'm going to choose to trust that Jesus loves me and accepts me and died and rose for me, even though Jesus and me are the only people who know the real me, the whole me. I'm just going to choose to trust. I'm going to choose to trust God that all this stuff isn't just a story. I'm going to choose to trust God and raise my kids in the faith when God has been so faithful to me. My knowing God is going to help me trust God to make that choice in my life. I'm going to choose to trust God that despite all the headlines, despite all the reasons to not be too careful in this world, that God is good and God is strong. And I'm going to choose to believe that just like a seed is planted in the ground with all the terrible things happening in the world, that there's still stuff going on, that God is still at work even when I cannot perceive it. That's a choice we can make. That's what it looks like to trust God. I'm going to choose to trust God that heaven is not a cruel and mean prank. And I'm going to choose to trust God that I haven't seen or spoken to my dad for the last time. I'm going to let you fill in the blank on yours. I'm going to choose to trust that Jesus is who he said he is. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And whosoever comes to me will never die. That's a choice that we make, even when it's hard. Friends, the more we know God, the more we can come to trust God. They're hand in hand. Trusting in God and knowing God increase together. So don't be afraid to lay out a fleece. Don't be afraid to take initiative and leave the outcome to God. Friends, may our knowing God and trust in God ever increase. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. And we thank you for your word, which still speaks to us thousands of years later. We thank you for Gideon and his stubbornness and his courage. And we ask that however it is this week that we lay a fleece out, that you would receive it in faith, And wherever we're at today, God, we leave the outcomes of of these troubles on our hearts, these worries on our minds, or these options set before us, we leave the outcomes to you. God, we love you and we trust you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.